Hello and welcome to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod, your authentic global voice for the pre-sales and buyer enablement world. And we have some fun along the way too. So thanks for joining us and don't forget to find out our top tips on today's topic at the end. Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod and you're joined by myself, Adam Freeman and Mark Green. Hi Mark. Hello everybody. Brilliant. And today... Very fun. We've got um, a fantastic guest on who's a pre-sales leader turned founder, but more on that in a moment. But we're going to be talking about things like how teaming is the new selling, which is a term that neither me or Mark remotely have a clue. No, no idea. I'd love to introduce you, Mr. Bo Ball. And Bo, welcome to the show. Do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Hey, Adam. Hey, Mark. Great to be here. My name is Bo Borland and former pre-sales leader. I've led several pre-sales, global pre-sales teams and uh, enablement teams and pre-sales operations. And so everything pre-sales, I've been an SE, I've been an AE. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, um, recently left Salesforce and started a company called Playbill. And we are about to launch soon in the next week or two. And Playbill is a go-to-market automation platform that makes it easy for revenue teams to create and automate highly visual and dynamic playbooks on Salesforce CRM data. So I know we're going to talk about playbooks more generally today, what they are. Um, but that gives you a little bit of black background on, on what I'm doing and, and now as founder and CEO of Playbill. So thanks for having me. And that, that's brilliant. And I think that's a really, really nice place to start, right? Because I'm fortunate I've spent a little bit of time, which is how you ended up on this show, just seeing some of your webinars and some of your, your thinking. And what struck me was, is I've never seen playbooks as well-defined as how you articulated it on a couple of slides. So I don't, I know this is an audio only show, so it's going to be a challenge here, but can you articulate just what is a playbook in, in its very essence? What's, what makes a great playbook? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the term playbook, it originated in American football in the late 19th century. It's a collection of plays to practice and then execute on the field. So it originated in sports. And over time, the term playbook has expanded beyond sports. It's now commonly used in business and politics and other fields, as you know. And today it seems like everyone's using the term playbook and it can mean anything from a Twitter thread to a 50 page Google document. So the way that I define playbooks is that a playbook, it's a work methodology and it contains a collection of aligned plays for achieving a business objective in a repeatable way. So for example, a pre-sales playbook contains a company's chosen sales methodology and a collection of pre-sales plays where each play aligns with the overall company sales methodology. Um, and so the next question might be, well, if a playbook is a collection of plays, what is a play? And, you know, we're getting down into the weeds here, but the way I think of a, a play is a team motion uh, and a set of assets for guiding your pre-sales team on effectively achieving that business objective for a specific segment of the business. So going back to the pre-sales playbook example, uh, you would have a collection of distinct pre-sales plays for maybe SMB. Uh, you might have another for how you um, approach enterprise, another for channel sales. Uh, each pre-sales play that you have would align with an overall sales methodology to make sure pre-sales and, and sales is staying in alignment. Uh, but that's how I define a playbook as a collection of plays. Well, I think it's a really interesting way that you put it there, Bo. Uh, I've seen lots of playbooks in action. And what really 
captured my imagination with the way that you're put, putting them forward here is that most pre-sales, well, most playbooks, um, when they involve sales and pre-sales and and proposals and think, things like that, they kind of, they've grown organically over time. And they've kind of sort of figured out what works until, of course, then it doesn't. And you work out why that didn't work. And people don't, well, it's kind of just, that's how, how we do it. Organizing it properly and being able to understand which playbooks are working in which scenarios, you get a lot of marketing people doing A-B testing of go-to-market strategies. I've never seen pre-sales people doing quite as rigid A-B testing of playbooks. Is that something that you would recommend? Absolutely. We like to think about uh, managing a playbook like Agile software. It's got these stages. So we're all familiar with the building stage. The building stage is the fun part. It's where you collaboratively get together with your team and you define what is the gold standard. You know, what is the best way to achieve this business objective in a repeatable way? And um, that's just the first stage, though. You know, then you've got to launch this this playbook. And that's where it, it, you present to the team. Hopefully they've coll helped collaborate in building it. But it's all about training enablement in a launch phase. And that's not easy because what you're doing in the launch phase is you're you're getting buy-in to the playbook and you're getting adoption. And then after the launch phase, there's the running phase, which is, you know, you actually go out and run this. You test it and you see what's working. You run it against accounts or you run it against opportunities. And over time, let's say a quarter, six months of running the play, you look at those plays and you say, well, which ones are working and which ones aren't? And this is where we move into the final phase, which is scaling. And this is taking a critical eye and saying these plays need to be modified um, we've we've learned new corner use cases. We've learned new customer objections. Our product is changing. We've got new feature sets. So we need to adopt uh, and, and evolve our plays in the scaling phase. So think of it as a four-stage life cycle of how to manage your playbook across these four stages. And just remembering that building is the fun part. Um, there's these other phases that are that like launching and training and buy-in that uh, are really important and difficult. Well, well, yeah, well, you, I'm going to steal a phrase from your website, but I will credit you with it. So, and attribution is nine tenths of the law. Uh, make decisions and ship better outcomes. I love the idea of shipping an outcome. So you, so you're not just shipping a, I've had these ideas. You can ship the results that come from those ideas. And I, I, that's a proper spark that sparked my imagination. What what sparked yours to uh, to 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 start down this complex path of creating a better world for quite so many people? Well, I've always I've always been entrepreneurial, but I'll say uh, you know deep down I've always been a builder. You know, um, and my mom always tells me a story of when I was five years old. I spent an entire day moving a huge stack of bricks from one side of the backyard to the other. And strangely, this was not a chore that she assigned to me. It was my weekend activity. This is what I chose to do for the weekend was move this, this stack of bricks for, because for me, it felt like play because uh, I was building something. Um, and so growing up in a small town, lots of energy before the internet, I was always outside building outdoors, playing team sports. And so, you know, starting a company is, is all about building. You're starting from scratch. 
So that was a big thing. And then I've always had a knack and a passion for visuals and illustrations to help make complex things simple. Um, it, and the reason that's important is because, you know, B2B is changing and it's getting more complex and people need, you need to drive a collective understanding. And one way to drive that collective understanding is to create visuals, create illustrations. I've always enjoyed doing that. Um, I've always had a knack for doing that with my teams and I've always found that it was worth the effort. Um, so that, that's another reason. And then I'll give you one more, which is, and we've all experienced this, that, that, that feeling of winning as a team. Um, so remember the first time you're, you know, we've all been in pre-sales or sales. Remember the first time that your team closed a big enterprise deal. Uh, you might've been the sales development rep who sourced the lead. You might've been the sales engineer who delivered the proof of concept. You might've been the AE who got the contract signed. It doesn't really matter the role. When your team landed that new logo, you suddenly experienced an overwhelming sense of accomplishment and pride. You know, your work was rewarding. It's very satisfying. The team's confidence skyrockets. Work feels really fun. Um, and everybody in B2B go-to-market has experienced these, what I call wow moments. Um, you know, like when the demo blew the audience back or your team was the top performing team, uh, top performing region in the company. And so when you've experienced these wow moments as a team, you want to repeat that feeling over and over again. Um, and I wanted to build a solution that really helped unlock team selling potential uh, and foster that winning feeling among teams. So those would be the three reasons I would take this plunge into startup land is 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 those three things. It's great to see new technology coming into the, the pre-sales tool stack. Um, but I think you've done a great job. Um, fortunate to see some of what you've done, and it's it's seriously impressive. But um there's two questions that are coming into my head, and I'm going to give you both, and then we'll, we'll probably circle back to the, the first one. But I'm interested to know your perception of how the pre-sales role in the go-to-market change is is happening, because I think a lot of pre-sales leads I talk to definitely are trying to figure out, where's my place in the go-to-market? How do I fit in? But I think there's a broader question here is, you just articulated it then um, very succinctly. You said um, you know the B2B motions are getting more complex, and, and it is. A lot of people talk about B2C transcending B2B. What's changing uh, uh, generally in B2B and why do you think it's changing? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, it, it's, it's changing and it's becoming more complex. There's no one size fits all top down playbook anymore. And this is because most B2B companies are running multiple cross-functional growth plays in parallel. Um, examples of those would be selling into the enterprise or launching um industry vertical strategies, uh, launching new products or experiments, adopting new sales methodologies. There, you know, there's always new sales methodologies coming out that new sales leaders come in and they want to adopt. Um, and you mentioned it earlier, you know, uh, also layering in and adopting entirely new motions like product-led sales, a lot of channel or partner-led sales motions. There's also a strong movement around account-based marketing and selling. So identifying target accounts. So, um, when you start to layer in all of these motions in parallel, uh, I believe it requires a mindset that teaming is the new selling. It's no longer the image of the stereotypical AE, rainmaker, lone wolf, relationship builder, um, you know, making everything happen. It's actually a cross-functional team that's involved in selling, especially if you talk about product-led growth. Um, and 
And so that's the change that I see. And if you're going to have really exceptional teaming to to execute on these new motions, you're going to need you know playbooks because they're going to help you gain customer focused alignment across these teams. Um, they're going to help these teams adopt a common methodology. And you know, at the end of the day, it's it's codifying a collection of of unique plays, whether they're pre sales sales. Um, for different segments of the business. And that, that's kind of really important, right? Because DemoFest just gone, I was speaking about KPIs and um, how different KPIs, actually we need a new iteration of KPIs to track what we do now as a pre-sales team because you look at um, consensus, you know, state of the pre-sales uh, report, most of the KPIs in the top KPIs submitted, all bar two, were tracking the middle to lower funnel in terms of their their, their outcomes and their impact. But I know, and I know I'm talking to um, someone who's on my way line here, but pre-sales are not in that middle to lower funnel now alone, are they, Bo, in terms of your articulation of how they're working in the go-to-market, right? It certainly hasn't been my experience selling technical complex solutions to technical buyers. The pre-sales team was involved from day one, you know, uh, early discovery, first discovery call, pre-sales team is on that call. Of, of course, middle funnel, uh, we're all in solution positioning, we're uh, executing on pilots or proof of concepts, workshops. Um, but even later in the sales cycle, you're starting to see more involvement in pre-sales um, pre and, you know, I hate to say it in some cases, post-sales, you're starting to see a lot of blending of customer success and pre-sales. And so it's blurring the line post-sales where pre-sales gets involved. So to answer your question, I think definitely in complex, when you're selling a technical uh, complex solution, high ACV, long sales cycles, uh, my, in my experience, pre-sales has been heavily involved in the selling from start to finish. It's very interesting that you're talking about post-sales there. My um, uh, my session at DemoFest was about um, the buyer journey predominantly and how they don't fit into any one silo within an organization so they you have marketing and sales and pre-sales and customer success and support for the buyer it's a very horizontal journey through all of that all at once you know um in a and so these playbooks i really think it's interesting that that could be applied to more than just pre-sales or at or at the very least making sure that the the buyers don't get lost in a whirlwind of different ways in which they can find out what they need to do from pre-sales and from sales trying to pull them in lots of directions. If you've got a playbook in place that's maintaining that smooth journey for the buyer through that organization, I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I, I think as much as pre-sales are probably finding the place in the go-to-market. The customer's also figuring out where our skills can help them in their buying cycle, right? So as much as a vendor has a go-to-market plan, buyers need to actually buy at the end of that, right? So actually, the surely the premise of those, the the to b the go-to-market plans, um, Bo, are that it creates the outcome and goes back to that whole point of shipping outcomes, right? It's like, there's got to be some certainty of where we're going with this and why, right? From the point of view of the buyer, yeah, you made a couple of good points there. One is I, I agree uh, with what um, what Mark 
you said about multiple customer journeys and, uh, you know, the first step sort of just identifying what those different journeys are and, and trying to model those journeys so that the company can put down on paper, here's our defined set of journeys and how we're going to um, build a gold standard around how what we're going to strive to achieve in delivering that customer through that buyer through that funnel. Um, so that's one point. And then around Adam, around go to market, um, you know, the goal is defining what is the objective for this playbook and, and for a go to market. Um, and I'll give you an example. So in pre-sales, um, you know, our number one pre-sales business objective was to hit revenue growth targets by winning more larger deals in the most efficient way possible. That was our first overall business objective. And it's highly aligned with the job of pre-sales. The primary job function is, you know, you want to hit your revenue growth targets by winning more larger deals in the most efficient way possible. And so that's our overall business objective. And then you get into, okay, well, what is the purpose of creating a playbook to meet that objective? Well, our purpose of the playbook is to codify a repeatable, scalable pre-sales motion that's been proven most effective at delivering on that business outcome. It serves as the gold standard that we will strive to achieve in this, in this sales cycle, knowing that all sales cycles are not linear. You can't force the buyer through a funnel that they don't want to go through, but it, at least it's a standard that we're going to strive to achieve. And we can hire new people, bring them on and let them know this is the standard that this is the default that we're shooting for. I don't know if that answered your question, Adam, or if you, if you want to follow on well, to that. No, it does, right. But it probably leads on to more questions, right, which is kind of, you know, something that I speak to other leaders about, which is the onboarding of pre-sales people, right, that while there's all this change going on, and like Mark said, you're kind of transcending all these different job roles as you move through the buying cycle, right, a new person into either new into pre-sales full stop, who has a lot of industry acumen, or new to a new company, either way, that is like drinking from a fire hose. That was the the term that came out of my face when I spoke to another leader and they're like, that's it. That's that's the emotion that for a new starter, and there's a lot of new starters that listen to this show. There's a lot of people at the earlier part of their career listening to this. They're trying to figure out their place in the organization. Surely these playbooks give a certain level of um, outcome certainty to what they're there to do when they understand their place in the engine, right? Yeah, and, and I don't know if we'll have time to get to this, but there's a, uh, several principles that you can follow in building a playbook to help um, ensure that these playbooks are simple and that you get clarity at a glance. And this idea of creating a pre-sales playbook on a single page, that's easy to understand for new hires and helps them understand what's most important in executing a deal. Um, and it, it also... I have yet to see a playbook that you can't define on a single page. Um, this playbook on a, pl a page concept also not only simplifies for new hires, but it also simplifies for other functions. Um, there's this added benefit, you know, because I, we talked about a little bit earlier, most functions, especially in the complex sale, don't know exactly what pre-sales does. And so if you can define a playbook on a page that provides clarity in a single glance for your own team, Imagine what it could do to jumpstart cross-functional alignment and collaboration because nobody's going to read your 50-page playbook. Um, but if you can summarize that in a single page, it really, in my experience, has helped us work through cross-functional projects and challenges by helping 
um, drive a collective understanding of exactly what pre-sales does in our entire land and expand uh, motion. I, I think it's worth double clicking on what you just said, right? I think, you know, <laughs> as much as there was more questions, I think what you just said then, how do you actually write a simplified playbook could be a great way to explore this conversation if you're happy to go into it now. So are there certain steps you should go through to achieve that? Because I've seen some playbooks that I'm thinking, how could you get that on one page? So it's quite reassuring you saying that that is possible, right? But how do you do it? How do you actually create a simplified playbook then? Well, it goes back to first, make sure that the team is aligned on the business objective. We talked about that. Um, You're not going to solve every pre-sales challenge with a playbook. The playbook needs to have a business objective. So if your business objective, for example, is to hit revenue growth targets by winning more larger deals in the most efficient way possible, that's your business objective. And then your playbook is like, okay, well, we're going to codify how to do that. And we're going to follow a set of principles that'll keep us aligned on us to ensure that this playbook is is going to be successful. Um, and I call these principles PACER, P-A-C-E-E-R, PACER. Um, the first is personalizable. So if a team, if you're a large company and you've got a, a globally distributed team, whatever you create needs to be personalizable. They need to be able to take that that standard and, and take it into Europe or JPAC or um, different products or, and it's gotta be personalizable. So it's not this big abstract concept that is not applicable to a local or regional market. So that's the first principle to follow. Uh, the second is aligned. So you need to be aligned on shared purpose, objectives and ideal customer journey. So you're basically mapping those three things out. You know, what is our purpose? What are objectives? and what are these ideal customer journeys that we're trying to map? Um, and the third principle is clear. And I, I touched on that sort of clear at a glance for driving a collective understanding, this 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 concept of playbook on a page. Um, and what I found is, is to do that in matrix view, sort of uh, summarizing a matrix view, you can have multiple dimensions on a single page. And, um, and so I would start there. Uh, is is trying to trying to encapsulate and distill the the most important points. You've got swim lanes, you've got role swim lanes, multiple roles in the play. You've got multiple stages in your sales cycle. So you, that's the first sort of x and y axis of this playbook on a page. Um, I think it's really interesting that you say there's multiple axes. It's so ah. Yeah. Oh. There's because I've tried to do similar to this, not not quite in this space, but. The problem you end up with is as soon as you try to make it, so you have a great idea of how you want things to be. And say you're, say you're a, a pre-sales leader, you've got your team, you know you're working with, with the sales team, you know how they work, you get some stuff in from marketing, perhaps you work with some partners. You've got a great idea of how you want things to happen. And then you start to need to connect all of the other parts, all the other players in this game. And it becomes such a spider web. You then switch over to using something like Miro because spreadsheets haven't been able to hold it. You're sort of disconnected um, concepts. So you move over to Miro, hoping that the post-it note style stuff works. You start drawing lines between them and then you, you just, I, I've done it. I just got lost. I've just gone, you know what? I, I know that this is solvable, but I can't, tell anyone about it because I can't communicate this 
style of concept. And so if you found a way to do all of the different axes, the different parts, that's... All the whiteboarding tools are available as well. Yeah, but they're not the as good. Out. Yeah, well, right. you got, you're really excited then. Listen, Listen, we, we only got to PAC. We only got to PAC. There's an E and an R yet. Sorry, yes, go on. <laughs> go on, Blake. You actually uh, um, explained one of the problem statements that you know, our company, our startup, Playbuilt, is solving is that there is no good tool for um, building a, a playbook, which is a collection of plays. Um, there's whiteboarding tools, there's spreadsheets, there, and what I mostly see is, is PowerPoint and Google Slides. Um, but there's three dimensions to this axis. There's an X and Y dimension. There's a third dimension, which is the depth dimension. And you, how, you, how do you slice these things if you have 10 different plays aligned to a single sales methodology? Um, and so we architected Playbuilt to be composable. It's made up of playbook objects. Think of it as like a Rubik's cube. And you can assemble these building blocks and compose these plays. These building blocks are standard vocabulary and standard common language across the company as to how do we define a POC or how do we define demo? How do we define a first call deck? All of these assets and actions exist in a library of building blocks that you use to compose these plays. But And because there's so many dimensions to it and you can have multiple plays, if you're doing that in spreadsheets or you're doing that in Google Slides, it quickly becomes a nightmare because it's one, it's slow to build, it's too tedious to maintain, and it's difficult to iterate. And so there's no way that you can manage a playbook like software because you're updating these different files and it's very tedious. Um, so to your point, that's exactly how we've architected this to solve that problem of managing a group of plays like software across multiple dimensions of the business. Did that make sense? Well, completely, yes. Sorry for the uh, off-track red herring, but um you will keep introducing exciting things so i will keep getting excited but please do carry on <laughs> yeah i was i was just ending on pacer which was just some principles um uh i think the last two the e and the r the effective it's obviously got to be effective at achieving the business outcome if, if it's not effective you don't want to use it nobody wants to use it and we talked about that is always evolving you know how how to be effective is changing the market's changing go to b2b go to market's changing your product is changing you're getting new features your company's expanding and growing so how to be effective with that playbook is always evolving that's why i think you always need to be maintaining and changing and updating uh, these playbooks and then it needs to be repeatable that's the last um principle is why even do this because we're trying to gain repeatability for scale um and that's going to help us have um, a lower cost of acquisition, customer acquisition or CAC. Uh, we're going to have more sales efficiency. We're going to be able to scale faster with um, less thrashing and chaos in the sales cycle, you know, less collective, um, less of tribal knowledge, you know, fewer rainmakers and, and really spreading that throughout uh, the company so that everyone can be successful. So, Quick question here, Bo. Um, we're kind of starting to come towards the end of the, the show. We've mentioned a couple of times about kind of enterprise playbooks and, and things, but obviously there's a huge part of the pre-sales community, right, that is all around, you know, product-led growth, maybe slightly smaller proposition, even single product propositions and even new startups, right, that came out of the pandemic. 
for people on the smaller end of the proposition scale, is a playbook still relevant? Um, is it different? How does how does that differ? Absolutely. Um, whatever the motion is, even if it's a low touch motion where it's high transaction, maybe lower ACV, uh, there's still tons of value in codifying what that standard is. What are we going to strive to achieve with these um, product-led growth sales? What is the role of each function to play? What is the role of pre-sales to play in an SMB transactional sale or a self-service product-led growth sale? Uh, if there's a role to play, uh, there's a swim lane defined for that role, and um, it deserves its own play. You know, just like an enterprise play, which in involves much more pre-sales support, you would define a play there as well. Definitely. I think there's so much we could have covered in this episode. I think we're definitely going to need a follow-up, right? But um, it's quite hard on an audio-only show to articulate some of the ideas you have, and I, I massively respect your ability to be able to do that. Um, but as we're kind of wrapping up, um, we'd like to finish on kind of golden takeaway call to action, something to go and do to enhance your week um, and your career. So, Mark, do you want to do you want to start? Have you got a call to action this week? I do. Yes. Um, people have had playbooks before, but I'd love to know, firstly, something that they can do to, when they talk about these sorts of playbooks with their colleagues and with their manager, or perhaps, of, hey, I've got this idea, I'd like to go and start investigating this. Um, how would you differentiate it to other to things that have gone before? What would you tell them? to help them articulate it? Um, well, I, I would just, I'd, I'd say, you know, for anybody in the company, like anybody can start this process of building a playbook. And, and the first step is to become deeply curious. Um, go deeper and wider in the business and, and really try to connect the dots um, and start to distill the learning. So if you're if you're spend, if you're curious and you're going deep into the business and you're connecting the dots for how pre-sales or go-to-market works, and you distill those learnings for yourself, you can start to distill those learnings for others. And that doesn't matter if you're an um, individual contributor or um, middle manager or functional leader. Anybody can become curious and 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 do that. And then. As you're distilling those learnings, what you should be striving for is simplicity. Yeah, you're striving to make complex things simple, and that's what I've always wanted to do in my career. I've just naturally been drawn to how to make complex things simple, and it through visuals, and then generalize those lessons learned into playbooks. For example, it doesn't have to be a playbook; it could be anything to help drive a collective understanding. I've always enjoyed doing that. Um, Another point I'll make around that, and this is for anybody in pre-sales, is learn to toggle your thinking. Um, and what I mean by that is, is learn to toggle between top-down and bottoms-up thinking. And this is really going to help you expand your influence in a company and really change how people think about um, pre-sales or growth for your business. Uh, and, and so, you know, think like an executive, but also think like an SE. Um, and that's what we mean by top-down, bottom-up thinking, and it really gives you a full view uh, and, and helps you articulate your point of view and be more persuasive inside the organization. Boom. Wow, that's a lot of that, – that is awesome. Thank you, both. Adam, in the final seconds as we wrap up, 
How about I was going to articulate something, right, that we've we've probably said in so many different ways. You said it in such an eloquent way. It doesn't actually matter where you're on the org to create the change you want to see within that function, right? So whether you're an IC or a contributor, go and start this thing. I, I've got a couple of call to actions. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to have two this week. One is I'd love someone with the most complicated go-to-market thing to send it to Bo because I've got to see the before and after one page <laughs> versus the the beast that gets sent originally. That's, that's <laughs> like a, a, a jovial call to action. But no, seriously, what I would recommend people do is go to the webinars that you run, Bo. Because I, I mean, I, I went, um, Bo invited me along to a webinar, went and watched it, and I thought it was brilliant. It was such a good use of time to come away and not necessarily give me all the answers, but start me on the right path to think about what, what change should we be thinking about and how should we do it? Because a lot of people point you in the right, that right direction of the change. But you gave a really good framework of how to actually take the next step, which I a lot of people do not do. Um, and to give back to the community in that way, Bo. So have you got any dates coming up for webinars or is, have you? Yes, have you... we do. Um, we call it the go-to-market go to playmakers webinar and anybody can become a go-to-market playmaker. Um, and the next webinar is June 15th and it's um, 45 minutes. We introduce these concepts. We give you a framework for how to approach um, go-to-market playmaking uh, for for any function, you know, any revenue function that you're in, whether it's pre-sales, sales, um, customer success. It's a way to think about um, go-to-market and then build it. It's an approach for how do you think about building playbooks and the roadmap of plays that you have to create. What is going to be the priority uh, for which ones that you're going to create first? So yeah, well, just, thanks for I mean, that. Appreciate this. the feedback this June fifteenth. I think it's so important because I didn't walk away from that thinking I've, I've learned a lot about Playbill. I learned a lot about building go-to-market playbooks, and particularly with pre-sales. So I think your ability to democratize that knowledge is is admirable. Um, and I think like the canvases that you show people how to use to give you an idea of what's in there, you are literally walking people through the tools and how to um, facilitate running a session to lead to a better playbook, right? Which I just think is is brilliant for anyone to go through. So, and how do people sign up for that? But is it on your on your website, Bo? Yeah, there's a um, a registration link on the website, uh, which will take you into a demo a demo landing page, which is the webinar platform that we use. Cool. and you cool. can register. And, that's just, and, and the website is um, it's playbuilt.com. And then within there, there is a uh, go-to-market playmaker canvas under resources, and on that page, you'll see a link to the um, link to the webinar. Oh, brilliant! Absolutely, that would be my big call to nice. action: is go and actually um, sit through that. So, Mark, it's been emotional. Cool. We've covered a lot, of hasn't it? One, right? Goodness, I you know, I, time time flies when 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 you're having fun, and uh, part of fun is play. So, playbooks is right up there. As a bit of a tenuous link to finish us off. <laughs> Absolute pleasure to have you on. And I'd love people that take the initiative, go and try to make a difference in the world in which we live. It, 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 Pre-sales people have been underserved and uh, day by day, they are better and better served through people that bother to put all of the... Uh, the, the the stress and the strain and the long nights and the early mornings and, and all the rest of it, but it is worth it, and we are all benefiting from uh, what you're doing. So thank you, Bo, and it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. It's wonderful to have everybody listening um, to two pre-sales in a pod. Uh, so from me, Mark, thank you very much indeed. 
And thank you, Mark and Adam, and, and it's been a lot of fun. And, and thank you for all that you're doing for the uh, the pre-sales profession that we all love. Brilliant. Right. Cheers. Well, I think that's a lovely note to end on. So, Bo, best of luck with your launch. Um, everyone else, thank you for listening. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another oh. episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. We'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn.